This month we're starting a new theme and it's the commandments. And I really got this some weeks ago. I think I announced it way before I normally do. God just impressed me on, on, on how we can overcome. And it's simple. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's simple. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then the thought came to me, well, what are his commandments? And I thought, you know, we'll take this month and study the commandments that Jesus said. And there are a lot more than you think. In fact, we will not be able to cover all of the commandments, but we'll hit quite a few of them this month. Amen. Uh, last week at the, in the Sunday school, Brother John asked a question, and I don't know if we were able to give him a good answer. So I wanted to start off by giving you an answer, Brother John. You asked about your father-in-law, I believe, right? And the answer is if you study that in the time of Jesus and the church, uh, the Jews were still practicing multiple marriages. In fact, they did not really outlaw that as far as Jews go, as Judaism go, till about the 11th century. It became less and less common, but up, up through that time, uh, as a Jew, you could still um, have multiple wives as in the Old Testament. But in the church, when someone came into the church with that situation, they were accepted. It's just that Paul said in his writings that they should not be, a, they could not hold office because from the beginning that was not how God had wanted it. He created just man and wife, but he did not make them split up or anything like that. So I hope that answers your question. No, we, God is not like that. He's a God of love and understanding. He takes you as you are, but you have to change. You, you, you come in one way, you leave a different way. Amen. So the command Paul in his, in his teachings to Timothy said, though, for leadership, because we want to go back to the example in the garden that a deacon or a bishop should be the husband of one wife. The reason why he said it was, in fact, because there were people who came into the church with multiple marriages. But that was not God's plan from the beginning. That's why he only gave Adam one wife. And if you get the, white, the right wife, you only need one. <laughs> if you get the wrong one, even one is too going to get in trouble. But I have been blessed. This is a special month for, for me too and my wife because this will be our 46th anniversary coming up. <laughs> 46 years. 46 years. So God has been good to us. What to me is scary is to know that next month will be my oldest son's 45th birthday. I can't believe that. That's something wrong with that. Amen. But we're here this, this Sunday to study the commandments. And in fact, this week we'll mostly be laying a foundation before we really get into the commandments because there's some things we need to settle and resolve in our hearts, right? Uh, foremost, Jesus said in John 14, 15, and this was one of his last um, briefings with his disciples. John 14, uh, is the setting of it is in the upper room, sorry, at the, at the Passover supper. This was where this, all this came when he was telling them he was going away and he was going to be arrested and all of that. And then he starts off John 14 by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. If you believe, that's so key. If you believe in God, believe also in me. And he was telling them he was going away. And the reason he was going away was to prepare a place. Isn't that awesome? God has got a place, another vessel. Paul says elsewhere that if this our earthly tabernacle. On Wednesday we had to do a funeral. And if this our earthly tabernacle should, should pass away, God has got another. Amen. He's been preparing a mansion, an office, so to speak. Amen. And so it was in this chapter around verse 15 that says, if you love me, he was telling them, listen, I'm going away. But if you love me, you say you love me, you don't want me to go. But if you love me, keep my commandments. So we're going to look at this. In uh, the second uh, John 1, 6, he says, and this is love, that we walk after his commandments. We clearly have to follow Jesus' commandments, but... We have to make sure that the commandments are truly uh, understood. Amen. 
This is the commandment that ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. So it's very clear from Scripture that there are certain commandments that Jesus gave to his disciples that they were to follow even after he was gone. Even after he was gone. One of the reasons we pray and we don't get stuff to happen is because, you know what? We're not keeping his commandments. Let's just be honest. It's because we're not fully keeping his commandments. In the Old Testament, in the book of Kings, where they give the lineage of the kings of Israel, they would start off by saying, and this king did that which was right, or this king did that which was wrong. And there was one king, it said, and this king did that which was right, but not with a perfect heart. You know what that means? He was going through the motions, but in his mind he was fussing and and, and saying, I wish I didn't have to do this. He wasn't doing it out of love. He was doing it out of commitment. Amen. And it almost negates the fact that you're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing, but for the wrong reasons. We need to do the right thing for the right reasons. Amen. This is the commandment that as he have heard from the beginning, he should walk in it. And this is love that we walk after his commandments. We should want to be just like Jesus. When he comes, the Bible says we shall see him and we shall be like him. Well, we need to start that journey now. We go on to perfection. You shouldn't be the same as you were last year. There should be some things you can overcome that maybe gave you some problems last year. Amen. I'm trying to grow. Amen. The one thing I admired so much about my father, even up into his 80s, is he was still learning stuff. I really admire that because, you know, old people, I'll say us old people, (laughs) sometimes we we get to the stage where we say, you can't teach me anything. I've seen that all before. But no, we go on to perfection. I've said it many times, but Paul, even uh, at the last, he said, it's not as if I have apprehended. It's not like I've got it all, but I press on. I I go on to apprehend from uh, that which I have been called. He was saying, listen, there's still more. It's not like I've made it. I might have raised the dead. I might have preached to to thousands. But there's still more for me to understand. More faith for me to get. A deeper walk with Christ. You see, anytime you think you've made it and have it all, you've got a pride issue. (laughs) Anytime, anytime, I love being taught. I loved September when Brother Putnam was here. and He pointed out something. I loved it so much. He pointed out something that had not occurred to me, and I just ate that up. Amen. I love when I'm taught something that is rich, that's going to feed my spirit, that is going to edify my soul. I still am learning. Amen. And that's what I crave. I ask God, show me revelation. Show me depth in your word, because that, that's his bread. That's my food. Amen. And so the Bible tells us, and this is love, that we walk after his commandments. As she was praying, she was talking about love. We can't say we love someone and hate our brother. We have to walk in love. Amen. I'm going to ask you some questions today. What is walking in love? That this is love that we walk after his commands. What, what is love one to another? What does that mean? Say that again. A pure heart? Okay, but what does love to your brother mean? Sister Johnny? Okay, what does that mean? Expound. Take it further. Take it deeper. All right. All right, my brother over there. Okay, Sister... Amen. Treat everyone with respect, Sister Browning. Amen. You know, suppose you hear something negative about somebody. What are we commanded to do? Well, first you find out if it's true. You don't accept it, right? In the mouth of what? Right. Like if someone told me, told you, <laughs> you heard pastor went in a bar and got drunk. You're going to believe that? <laughs> You're going to believe that? Just because somebody told you that? 
Or I saw a pastor down at the lake shore smoking a blunt. You going to believe that? Bible says to do what? Prove all things. If you love me, that would not be the first thought that would come to your mind. Pastor, no, you'd say, who told you this? Where does this come from? I don't believe it. See, if you, if you know somebody and you love someone, the Bible says you thinketh no evil. Some of us are too quick to say, I knew he was like that secretly. I knew she was like that. I knew that was just a facade. Love one to another. Love thinketh no evil. That's not the first thing. The first thing I'd say is I can't believe that. If I know someone, they say something outrageous. The first thing I'm going to say is I can't believe that. I'm going to have to find that out for myself. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I can't believe that. That's the first thing that would come to me. Why? Because I love that person. And if I know that person, right, and they've been a faithful saint, a brother, that's not the first thing that's going to come to my mind. I'm not going to believe anything someone comes say about you unless it's in two or three witnesses. That's the biblical standard, right? This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, we should walk in it, walk in it. And hereby... Let's keep going about these commandments because the Bible in more than one place tells us that we are to follow his commandments. 1 John 2, 3. And hereby we know that we know him if we keep his... You can't even say truly that you know Jesus. You can say it. Yes, people say it. Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. But the Bible puts a condition on that. If, if we keep... His commandments, if we keep his commandments. He saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments. What does the Bible say? I'm not saying it. Is a liar and the truth is not in him. I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. That means we're not perfect. No, by no means. But we should be striving like Paul unto perfection, right? I may make mistakes, but if I do, I got to come to you and apologize. I got to say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. That was a thoughtless word. That was hurtful. I'm very sorry about that because we have to have what? Love one to another. In fact, now by this, we know that we know him. If, if we keep his commandments, first John chapter two, verse three, It's repeated throughout the whole New Testament about Jesus' word. Verse 6, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Jesus walked in love, didn't he? He, 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 he? He had the opportunity to throw stones, right, when they brought that lady that was caught in the very act. He could have, he above all people could have been very, condemnatory, right? He could have said, sure, let's stone her. But he did not. Even though he had that ability and he had the right being who he was, and this was the revelation that Brother Putnam said, you know, as he was writing in there and everybody went, and the point he made was there were no accusations. There was no one to accuse her. He said, "Where are, woman, where art thou thine accusers? In other words, if there was no witnesses even if she was guilty under the law, she could not be punished. And so Jesus did not break the law. He still fulfilled the law because he said, okay, if a trial is going to start, we need to have witnesses. There's no witnesses. Case dismissed. <laughs> That's what he has done for us. He has paid the penalty. He has paid the cost. Case dismissed. Verse 6, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. You know, they used to have that bracelet, what would Jesus do, right? Well, what would Jesus do? He, he showed love. He went among the lepers. He went among the poor people, right? As I taught before, he was born in a stable. None of us can have that claim. Some of, the worst some of us can say is we were born at home. But none of us was born in a barn, 
he lowered himself, made himself of no reputation. Amen. So now let's make sure. Some people say, well, um, yes, but Jesus was speaking as a man. Well, let's, let's look at that. Here is what Jesus said in John 12, 49. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father. Let's say, but the Father. Who sent me, commanded me to say all that I have spoken. That means that, that it is from the very divinity of God, what Jesus, when he spoke a command. What he said came directly from the glory. Because that's what he claims. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me. Another place he said, the devil has nothing in me. He's coming. But there's nothing for him to grab hold of. Amen. It's like going through a, a, a cloud of gas. You can't hold on to some gas because there's nothing tangible there. The When the devil gets us is when we're holding on to something tangible. Then he can pull us because we're holding on to the wrong thing. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's someone. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's all kinds of things. When we're holding on to something that we shouldn't have, then he can grab hold of that and pull us. But Jesus was able to say he has nothing in me It'd be like trying to clutch the air. When, when, you, when Satan has nothing in you, he can't touch this, as MC Hammer used to say. <laughs> he can't touch this. He can try, but he can't touch this. Amen. Turn to your neighbors. He can't touch this. Amen. Amen. Jesus said that he did not speak on his own. But the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. Now, the question comes down is, sometimes people take what Jesus say and take it out of context. So we have to rightly divide the word of truth. We have to keep his commands, but we have to make sure that they are applied to us. I'm going to have to go deep this morning, okay? So, <laughs> so just... I'm going to try to go slow. Hold on to your seats. <laughs> Hold on to your seats. So we're going to look at some things that, that, that go wrong in, in, in interpreting what Jesus said. Now, Matthew 7, 22. Many will say it to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, isn't that an amazing two verses? That there will be people who think that they knew him. In fact, even did miracles in his name. And yet, he didn't know them. Okay, question number two. How could that be? Okay, define what you mean by saved. Going to be tough on you all today. Because there's people out there who say they're saved. I'm saved. So define what you mean by saved. Okay, okay. All right, anybody else? Sister Reese. Okay, so um, you're saying that they, they know the Bible, but they don't have the Spirit of God. Okay. Um, in that day, many, let me read it again. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? What does that mean? What it means prophesy? But they're prophesying. They're, what does that mean? What does prophesying mean in this sense? Yeah, it, actually in this means it means they're preaching. They're going around preaching. They're preaching in his name. They're proclaiming that they do know him. And yet they don't know him. So how could that be? Um, mother there. Okay, very good, yes. The Bible says the gifts... And calling of God are without repentance. The fact that someone can preach 
or even have a gift does not mean that they're sanctified and have a relationship with God. Isn't that amazing? That's what Paul says, the gifts and calling of God. The reason why I'm saying all of this is I want to lay the groundwork before we really go into the commandments of God. Have we not prophesied in yet? So then how are you going to tell the difference? How are you going to know someone who really has a relationship and is known of God as opposed to knows of God? How are you going to know that kind of person? Someone else? Anyone? Well, their lifestyle, they could say, listen, I've, healed, I've had people healed under my ministry. Sister Stephanie. Well, here's what I'm, I'm, I'm pointing out. It says that they are preaching. Have we not, in this case, it means proclaim in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils. In thy name have done many wonderful works. How is it you're not going to be deceived by that? Okay, that is scripture. And here's what Jesus says. I never knew you. Depart from me. And then he makes it even stronger. He says, ye that work iniquity. Iniquity. So this tells us we got to be very careful. Very careful. Don't you, don't you think that we have to be very careful? Okay. You can't put your approval on everything and anything. You can't put your approval on everything and anything. It, you know, uh, I've got the picture of a ticket and it says heaven. <laughs> ticket that says, uh, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Right? So it goes on. It goes on in the next verse or, or, or in 21 to say it's the one who does the will. The answer's up there. It says, the, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Right? So there, there can be people doing stuff, but it's not according to his will. Let's read some more. Let me read it out. Matthew tw- seven twenty one. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Therefore... Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, in other words, his commandments, and doeth them. It's doing that makes the difference, not just hearing. Or even believing. Or even believing that uh, scripture says, for Satan believes that even the devils believe. It's you have to carry out his commandments. Doeth them. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. So the Bible is very clear, Sister Mary. Absolutely. That was the parable he, he taught to show who really did the will of the Father. The one who actually carried out the work. The one who said, yes, I will. He didn't hesitate. He said, yes, I will. But he didn't actually carry out the work. It's the doers that actually carry out the work. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So now... The case then is to really look at Jesus' commands and then see which ones apply to us now because not every single thing he said applies to us now. Remember, he said uh, during his, the Gospels, he said, I was only sent to the household of what? Israel. So some of the things he was telling them do not apply to the church. And I'm going to show you that. So we're going to break down now. We're going to break down some scripture. You're going to have to put your thinking hat on now. I'm going to ask you some more questions. Okay? Okay. So the first way of understanding scripture is to take it as literal. As it's written. Unless there is some reason 
that it should not be literal, okay? Here is a literal uh, scripture, or at least I shouldn't say that. I should ask you if you think it's literal. Matthew 26, 26, verse 26, and it's concerning bread. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now, is that scripture... Uh, to, how is that scripture to be understood? Did this event, is this scripture, did this event happen? Yes, it it's a literal event. So, so this scripture can be taken as Jesus actually took some bread while they were eating. He gave thanks for it and he broke it and he said, take, eat, this is my body. So as for, for what happened, this scripture is literal, Right? But the last part, take eat, this is my body, is that literal? It's spiritual. It's spiritual. We can tell that from the context. What I'm saying is we have to rightly divide the word. So we can look at this scripture about bread and the circumcision. The way it's written, we take this as literal, that this event actually happened, that he took some bread while they were eating. He gave thanks for it. And break it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. That last part though, we know is not his body because he was actually giving the bread. The scripture says so. So it's very clear that that last part is spiritual because it's clear, it's obvious. As the preamble to the constitution says, it is self-evident. Doesn't need any explanation. Now let's look at another scripture here that is to do with bread. And you tell me what you think this is because there are figurative an allegorical, that means Jesus told lots of stories where he said, the kingdom of heaven is like. That's an allegory. He's saying, it's, that doesn't mean it's exactly this. It's just a allegory. It's just a metaphor. It's figurative. And so when he says that, it becomes obvious that you're not to take it absolutely literally, but you're to take the, the moral story and understand the spirituality of it. You get what I'm saying? Let's look at a scripture like that. 1 Corinthians 5, 8. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, what is that scripture talking about? When it says, therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity. It's, it's talking about bread. Is it literal bread? No, it's not literal bread. He says the leaven of malice. He's likening Paul in this scripture malice to leaven. With just a little bit of it in the bread puffs it up. Puffs it up. So here is a scripture that is using bread as a metaphor or as an allegory or as a figure. You following me so far? And so when you read the scripture, you're not to take it literally. This was the problem with the disciples the very first time uh, when Jesus began his ministry and he had 72 disciples. And he said to them, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part. And he never gave an explanation. And their problem was 60 of them took it as literal. And they said, well, boy. It's a bit much. <laughs> it's a bit much. He wants us to be cannibals. And guess what? They left him. They left him, leaving him only the 12. And he, he was, it was a test. He didn't give an explanation. He just said to the others, you want to leave too? You going to leave too? What did Peter say? That's right. Whither shall we go? Where are we going to go? He didn't understand. He had no clue. But guess what? He trusted Jesus. He trusted the words. He trusted the sayer, the speaker. That even if he didn't understand it now, there would be a time when God would give him understanding. And he gave him understanding in Matthew 26, 26. On the night of the Passover, when he broke the bread and said, this is my body. And it became clear to them what he meant three years before. See, when you wait upon the Lord, he'll give you revelation. He'll give you understanding. The worst thing, though, is to take stuff without really waiting and making sure um, that God has given you the, the revelation. Let's look at another one. Here's this one. There's another one about bread. John, 3, John 6, 6, 6, 35. 
And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Is that one literal or spiritual or what? It's spiritual. When he says, I'm the bread of life, he wasn't being literal that he's a loaf of bread. He's not, you know, a loaf of rye or Italian. No, he was, he was being figurative in his explanation. He was trying to explain it. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So that's an example of a spiritual or um, figurative approach. Let's look at another one. Now the next problem sometimes that people have is the context. Taking the scripture, the command of Jesus out of context. All right, let's look at this one. Matthew 10, 5. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. In other words, you avoid the Gentiles. Do not preach to them. Don't go in any of their towns. Verse 6, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, Jesus did say all of that. But then, in Matthew 24, 14, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Okay, so what's, what's the difference here? How would you deal with these two apparently contradictory scriptures? What's the key? That's it exactly. It's when he said it. The context is when he said it. When he said the first scripture, he had not gone to the cross. He, he was sent, as he says, to the household of Israel. You can't use the first scripture then to say that the gospel is only to the Jews, right? To Israel. Because although Jesus said it, you have to put it in proper context. The context is the time when he said each statement. In Matthew twenty-four fourteen, he was pre- predicting what would happen after his resurrection, after he had paid the penalty for sin. And then he said that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the, all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So one of the misinterpretations of some things Jesus said is the context. This time the context was time. It's when he said it that made the difference. You all following me on this? It's when he said it. So some things he said, uh, our context is time, and they don't apply to us because of the time when he said it. Other things he said do apply to us, and other things he said are universal. They apply for all time. Thou shalt not murder is universal. That goes even be- before the law was officially given, right? So you, you can't just take things and um, put them in the wrong context. To understand them, you have to have the right context. Okay. All right, now we're going to look at language. Because in understanding scripture, you have to take it in the language that it was written in to truly understand it. And there's a lot of things that are taken, um, you know, because the King James Version is written in 16th century English. And the words that they use then, we don't use. We don't normally speak about they, thou, and thee, do we? Ye olden people, you... (laughs) (laughs) we don't use those words anymore and so there's many words that are in the language of the king james that you have to be careful to actually go and look it up and make sure you have the right understanding look at this one in philippians 2 7 i'll read it before i show you the bible says but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men Now, what do you think that really means? Was made in the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of sinful men. Made in likeness of men, I should say. What do you think, one of the words there people misinterpret. All right, I'll tell you what it is. It's servant. The real Hebrew, or sorry, the Greek is slave. Is slave. That's to show you how, how, how obedient he was to the father. A servant gets paid for what he does. A slave does not. They do it because they are totally 
belonging to the person who, he says, so the, the proper translation in some, in some of the more modern texts, they put it there. Or they put a bond servant, right? The real, in the, in the Greek, is slave. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a slave. That's what it really means. And was made in the likeness of men. So this is what I'm saying when we have to also look at the language when we are going to rightly divide what Jesus told us. Let's look at another example. For instance, Galatians 2.13. I shouldn't have put it, I should ask you the question before. And the other Jews dissembled. Dissembled, what does that mean? It means it hid their true motives or beliefs. Likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. See, I should have asked you before I put the scripture. It means hypocrisy. You see, when the Jews came to the came to amongst the Gentiles, even Barnabas started to withdraw because he didn't want them to be looking at him funny. He was being a hypocrite. When they weren't there, he was being friendly with the with the Gentiles because he knew that the grace of God means there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. But as soon as the Jews came, he started to back off. And it uses this old-fashioned word, dissimulation. But all it means is hypocrisy. You understand? So when we read the word of God, if there's something you don't understand, you need to go and look it up. We have to rightly divide the word of God. Now here's another one where it's, it's an insertion where the writers decided they would put a word to help the understanding, but it's not in the original. John chapter 12, verse 32. And if I be lifted up from all the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now if you go look up your King James Version, you'll see that that word men is in italics. What that means, it's not in the Greek. It means they put it there because they thought that's what it means. So you preach that when I be lifted up, I will draw all men. That's actually what man put in there. What it really means, and if you look at the true context, what Jesus was talking about, he was speaking about the judgment. Because as Moses lifted up the serpent, which represented their sin, everyone who looked at it, the judgment of death was drawn. That's what he was speaking about. If I be lifted up, I will draw all the judgment. In fact, he said in John that judgment was about to fall on this earth. You read it lower down. He says, but if I, I be lifted up, I will take the judgment. That's what he did. Can you believe that? He took the judgment. But here is another one where the writers put their own interpretation but they did tell you that they did it. So when you look in the New Testament in King James Version and in many versions where they insert words, they'll put it in italics to show you that it's not in the original Greek. So these are all examples you have to make sure when you're looking at the Bible, when you're studying. Paul said to Timothy, study. And that's why people who miss Sunday school are missing out. Amen. Amen. I will draw all men. Men is not there. It's I will draw all. And he was really speaking about the judgment that was about to fall. He said, now is this world about to be judged. I firmly believe that God was about to destroy. Just as he did in the day of Noah. That time the judgment did fall because there was no one who could take the judgment. But Jesus said, but if I be lifted up, I will draw the judgment. The Bible said he was disfigured beyond human under... That's why Mary didn't recognize him at first. Because he took upon him all the judgment for every rapist, every pedophile, every murderer that would ever come to pass. Can you imagine that? That's why he had to cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because his flesh felt for the first time what it feels like. To have sin, he who knew no sin, because he took the judgment. This is why we have to rightly divide the word of God. We got to look to whether it's literal. When you first read it, you have to say, is this literal? Or is it a figurative? Is it spiritual? Is it being taken? You got to read the whole chapter to make sure you have the context. And then, then you have to make sure, if you see any italics in there, you got to go, wait a minute. Who put that in there? Where did that come from? Okay. I apologize. I'm going a bit deep today, but follow me here. 
See, we want to come to a true understanding of Jesus' commands. Amen. We don't want to, to be guessing. We don't want to, to, uh, to make it up. We want it to be true. Now, Jesus himself, this last category, Jesus himself explicitly said, I do this. And that is figures of speech. He explicitly said in John 16, 25, I have told you these things in figurative language. In other words, in veiled language. In the kingdom, it says Proverbs. He means in a hidden language. In fact, in Matthew 13, he told four parables. And he told them, the disciples said, why do you keep doing this? Why don't you just tell us what you really mean? And he says, it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. But to them that are without, it's not given. So God in the New Testament Things that he secretly wanted them to know, he he put it in in parables. But later when they were by themselves, he would explain certain things to them. I have told you these things in figurative language, veiled language. The hour is now coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Again, this was near the time when he was going to be arrested. And this is the amplified version. In the King James, it uses the word Proverbs. But again, in the Greek, what it means is in figures and in veiled language. So we have to understand that some of the things Jesus said were figures. They were symbolic. Let me look. We've quoted this one before. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, clearly, he wasn't being literal and that made the, the disciples who were following at that time, they couldn't, they couldn't take that. That was too much for them. They interpreted what he said as literal when he was being spiritual. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Boy, that would... Now, how many of us would we, we, we say, oh, man, I would never leave him. But if Jesus said that to you, what would you say? <laughs> uh, I'm afraid a lot of us would be in the 60 that left him. We wouldn't wait three years for the explanation because the explanation didn't come until the night when he broke the bread and said, this is my body. I just imagined that scene. I imagine Peter and all of them going, whew, wow, now we understand. Man, That now it makes sense. If you will wait upon the Lord patiently, amen, any mystery in your life, if you trust him, if you put your faith in him, he will explain himself. He's not trying to uh, get you all messed up and and deceived. He wants truth to be in your life. For my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed. But it was a test. He said it that way to test who would just trust him or who would want explanations. Um, It's not true, but my children always said to me that I would just tell them stuff to do and not explain what it is. I, I deny it, but that's what they said. So a few years ago on my 53rd birthday, they all got together and bought me a t-shirt. <laughs> and it said on it, because I said so. <laughs> it said, because I said so. I said, that's not true. They said, yeah, you would tell us to do stuff and you wouldn't explain. It's they were not listening. I think I always explain. God, God tells us stuff and if we will listen, the explanation will come. Most of the time, we make up our own explanation. We lean to our own understanding right? We, we lean to the one that makes it comfortable and makes it work out in our head. Because when he told him, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, that's not something you can work out in your head how that's going to work out. You either trust him and wait and see, or as 60 of them did, they left him and said, oh, that's too much. No, we can't, we can't, we can't understand this and you're not explaining it. So we gone, we gone. As I said, who, who, who knows how many people started out in the upper room? We know on the day of Pentecost there was 120, but how many people were there 50 days before when he said, go wait? And they waited 10 days and said, well, man, when is he coming? Man, I got to go back to work. <laughs> My vacation's up. I can't stay in Jerusalem all this time. 20 days, another 100 left. 30 days, another 100 left. Because, you know why I say that? Peter says that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And he said, if you don't want to believe the witnesses, the Bible tells us that Jesus was seen by more than 500 people after the resurrection, right? So I'm sure there was more than 120 when he told them to go wait in Jerusalem. But you know what? Some of them couldn't wait. And it came down to 120. 
See, we have to make sure that we're understanding God's word. Now, before this, this whole lesson is, is pre to us getting to the commandments. This is laying the foundation. Next week, we'll really dive into it. But people will say, well, what about the Old Testament? Because there are groups today, like the seventh day, and that keep some of the Old Testament or, or try to. What about the Old Commandments? What about them? Okay. Well, what's the explanation? Why don't we have to... Uh, bring our turtle dove and our meal offering today. All right, let's look at it. Here's a commandment. Here's a commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. All right, there's one. Here's another one, Leviticus 19.19. Ye shall keep my statutes, thou shalt not let... Here's one that sounds strange. Thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with diverse kind. Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed. Neither shall a garment mingled of linen and woolen come upon thee. Ooh, better check your label. (laughs) Better check your label. There's some strange things in the Bible, aren't there? Had you heard that one before? They were commanded that they couldn't wear a garment of linen and wool. Yeah, I see you checking your label. (laughs) Now, why don't we still have to do all of that stuff? Here's another one. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, that ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. Where is my wheat? None of you brought the wheat to me. Or the corn. Or the bu- Where is it? It says so. There's a commandment. Then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. Okay. So what about all these old commandments? Well, I'm sure most of you know the answer, but let us look at it in, in some detail. First of all, the Ten Commandments um, comprise several things, several types of commandments. There are some that are ordinances between man and God. There are some that are ordinances between man and man, right? right? And then there are some that are ceremonial, which is like the Sabbath is a ceremony, and so is the, the feast. Let's look at the end of the ceremonial ordinances. Hebrews 9, 1 begins to explain something. If you read the whole chapter, and I didn't have time to put the whole chapter in here, Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, lays out the whole tabernacle. He describes what's in it. The veil, the first entrance, the tent of meeting, the holy place, the most holy place, and all of the things that were in there. He starts to describe all of them. And then in verse 1, then verily the first covenant had also ordinances, in other words, laws of divine service. And a worldly sanctuary means an actual tent or temple. Skipping to verse 10, he explains, which stood only in meats and drinks. All these things were fleshly or physical in nature, in meats and drinks and divers, washings and carnal ordinance imposed on them until... That's the word, until. Let's say until. Until the time of reformation. And in many other places, I could spend the whole rest of the lesson explaining Paul in his treatise in Romans and Galatians, explaining that this was, if there was, if this was brought perfection, there would have been no need for a change. But all through the Old Testament, it was prophesied that there would be a change, that there would be a new priesthood. And the key is found in Ephesians 2.15, having abolished. When something is abolished, what does it mean? It's gone. We're not under slavery anymore. (laughs) At least we shouldn't be. It was abolished. Anyone know the date? When was the emancipation? No. No. Got to repeat high school, you people. When, was, when did Abraham Lincoln declare the Emancipation Proclamation? 19? 1865. I would have been born a slave then if that was true. (laughs) 
So Jesus did an emancipation proclamation, freeing us from some of these ordinances. What does it say? Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances. For to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Now it says in the law of ordinances. It didn't mean he got rid of the fact thou shalt not murder. No. As I said, there were some things that predate even the law. Colossians 2.14, Paul explains again. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. If I take something out of the way, is it blocking me anymore? No. Nailing it to his cross. The emancipation came when Jesus bowed his head and said, it is finished. And in the Greek, it's paid in full, telestai, paid in full. So how, how, let's go a little bit deeper. So how did he do this? Because he claimed when he came, he was going to fulfill that so that we don't have to do it, right? Here's what he said, Jesus, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. If you were going to summarize the law, it hangs on these two things. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Someone said that today, right? Thou shalt love. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now the problem is just those two commandments. That's the problem. Because I've said before, none of us can do that 100%, 24-7. Right? If you were going to fulfill the law, what it technically meant is that you're going to love God with all of your heart, 100% of your heart, 100% of your spirit or soul, and 100% of your mind, 24-7, 365 days a year. That was the problem because as flesh, we can't do that. Now, verse 39, and second is to love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, we may love some people as ourselves, but come on now. Some of us, if we had the power, if we had that bewitched power, we could wiggle our nose and they'd be gone. They'd be gone. Right? Isn't that true? Is it only me? Okay. My former pastor said you couldn't be a good pastor if you didn't love everybody. So I said, okay, that lets me out. That lets me out. Okay. All right. Now I know. I can't qualify for that. Right? But you know what? God has changed me. And I'm not there yet, but I'm trying. I'm trying to... To be as God wants, not just me, but each and every one of you. If you were going to fulfill the law perfectly, what it would mean is that you were going to love God 100% of your heart. And the point Jesus came to show is that we can't do it. Because if, if this is the foundation of the law, and Paul said that we couldn't do it because it was we were weak through what? The flesh. See, so people who claim that they are perfect, what they're saying is that they can fulfill this 24-7, 365, that you never raise your fist at someone who just cut you off in traffic. (laughs) Right? And I heard someone say, well, you may not say it, but certain things are going through your mind. Right? Uh, Someone did walk in here one day and told me that they were perfect and sinless. And they just lied. They just lied. I mean, not even, not even, I don't even have to prove that. Just read John. If you say you're without sin, you're a liar, and the truth is not with it. They, someone actually came in here one day, and they told me, and they meant it. They were, they were not joking. But Jesus fulfilled this. This is the difference. Now, this is the fulfillment of the law, right? To love God with all your heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The scripture tells us in verse 40, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So if you could have done this perfectly, then Jesus would not have had to die. 
because it's an impossible command for flesh. Here's what Paul says, and you all know this chapter. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will, I have to force myself when certain thoughts come in here, not good thoughts, to say, no, I can't think that. Because my flesh, my flesh wants to think that. For in me dwelleth no good thing. For to will, what I want to do is present with me. But how to perform it, that which is good, I find not. It's easy to be good to good people. It's easy to love nice people. It's not so easy to love jerks. Is it? No. And people who are, Bible says, despitefully use you. Or say harsh things about it. It's a little bit harder now. It's easy to read it. But what did I say? It's he that doeth it. What Paul came to the conclusion is, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God. After the end of the he know we know what the right thing to do. 99% of the time, we know what the right reaction should be. Don't we? We know what we should do. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. I think in certain respects, and you need to pray for me, in certain respects I've become worse. And let me confess that. I have become worse in certain respects with my, with my um, uh, let me say, anger or temper. I used to think I had no anger. I thought, it was, I thought that was dead and gone. I thought, I thought I had it really under, tied down and locked up and was never coming out. But then Lord showed me a few things and showed me, no, you don't have that. You, without me, without me, you're a total mess. You would fly off the handle just like that. <laughs> For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, in my flesh, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity. This is why, as simple as it sounds, loving the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body, you can't do it. You can do it for a minute or two while you're here and while you're rejoicing. But go out there and someone cuts you off in traffic. I love you. What a sweet person you are. <laughs> no, that's not how we're going to react. No, I don't think so. We have to catch ourselves. And so I told you this story, right, about my former pastor. Someone cut him off in traffic and he was waving his hand at them. And following them, and they pulled into the church parking lot, and he had to go out there and apologize because he's the pastor. <laughs> that, that taught me a lesson. I don't know who's coming to this church. I better not shake my fist at them. I might have to say, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I see another law in my members. See, the law was impossible. And that's why Paul said, if you're going to try and pretend to keep some of it, you might as well try and do all of it because none of it's going to do you any good. If you're going to try and keep circumcision, then you might as well try and do the other stuff. And the other stuff you couldn't do anyway. Oh, wretched. This is what his conclusion in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Sister Laura, you got a question? Oh, amen. Amen. But he answers it in chapter 8. I see that the law of the spirit of life hath delivered me, hath made me free. That's why we don't have to do some of those commandments, right? It's the ordinances. Remember, I told you that today we have two divisions of law. Anyone remember what the two divisions of law are? In the United States, we have two, two types of law. Come on now. Criminal. What's the other one? And civil. Right? We have two divisions of the law. But in some countries they have three divisions of the law. What's the third one? Religious or ceremonial. Like in Saudi Arabia they have religious police. And they enforce the religious laws. Like before it used to be a woman couldn't drive or if they went out wearing the wrong clothes that was a religious law. In this country, we only have two laws. In, in Judaism, they used to have the three laws too. You had ceremonial, you had criminal, and you had civil. What Jesus did away with was the ceremonial. That's what we're talking about. That's why we still have the civil and the criminal. 
It's still a sin to kill people. It's still a sin to, to commit fornication. It's still a sin to do certain things. It's not a sin now if you are not circumcised or if you, don't, if you wear wool and uh, linen together. So you don't have to go check in your clothing. Because he nailed that. He abolished it. That's what the scripture said. He abolished those commandments. We're talking about commandments. In fact, Jesus, we just described what the, what the, 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 the summary of the law was, right? The two things that summarize the law, loving your neighbor as yourself, and then loving the Lord thy God with all thy soul, mind, heart, 100%, 24-7. Now, Jesus was the only one who fulfilled that. Matthew five seventeen. He told them, listen, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. Now, question to you. How did Jesus fulfill the law? Okay, anyone else? How did, how did he fulfill? I'm, I'm not saying there's any wrong answer. How did Jesus... How did Jesus fulfill the righteous requirements of the law? Okay, let's look at what Paul says fulfills the requirements. In Romans 7, he's, he's, he's laying out the case where we can't do it by self. We, can't, we just won't be able to be good enough because we got this thing called flesh that has wants to go this way. Even with our mind, we want to go that way. But he gives what fulfills it. Let's read it. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in, there's a condition there, in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And he's giving now how, how he has been made free. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak because of my human frailty, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and before sin condemns sin in the flesh. Now, verse 4 is the answer to this question. For the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled. How? Who walk not after the flesh. That means that's not what you're thinking about all the time. The more you are thinking about God and his word, you're walking in the spirit. And therefore, the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in how you are thinking, how you are walking in the spirit. Amen? See, in his, in his epistle to Galatians, which we could go through, but I'm only going to take verse 21. I don't make void the grace of God, for if righteousness is through the law, then, as I said before... Christ died in vain. If we were able to be so perfect, then Jesus would not have to come. But we can't do it without him, without putting faith in his fulfillment, in the fact that he already did it in his commandments. I'm almost finished. Then next week we're going to really get into the commandments. Before that, I have some questions for you here. And this is very important to understanding certain things. The question I have is, can God ever be arbitrary? Now, by that I mean, by that I mean, does God ever, like, sometimes you'll ask a child why they did something. And what will they tell you? I don't know. But why did you do that? I don't know. And that makes you mad, doesn't it? They do something really stupid, and you ask why, and they say, I don't know. I'm asking you, can God ever be like that? Does God ever do anything that has no purpose or that he doesn't know why he did it? <clears throat> Can God, because this is very important to things he tells us. That means anything he tells us is for a purpose and a reason. Because he doesn't just, we just agreed, he'll never say something for no purpose or no reason. He's not like us. We'll say stuff and do stuff and people ask, why do you do I don't know. You would, you should, you, we all believe we'll never get that answer from God, will we? No, God never would ever do anything without a purpose or a reason. Now, granted, we may not understand his purpose or his reason, but we believe by definition God is never arbitrary. He never just does things for no reason. Everybody believe that? 
If you don't believe that, let's look at some scripture. Jeremiah 29, 11. You all know this one. For I know, I know the plans. I'm not making this up as we go along. I'm not, I'm not, you know, just, okay, what shall we do today? No, I, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And of course, I didn't put the scripture, but it's Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who <clears throat> have been called according to his purpose. He goes on to say, even the things that are not good, God works it to his purpose. So God never ever says or does anything on a whim. Right? He's not arbitrary. Of all the, the beings in this whole universe, God has got to be the most logical. Right? We do, we do things and sometimes, why did I do that? Why did I, we look back and we say, how did we ever come to that understanding to do that? We will never catch God saying, why did I do that? Except when it comes to making man. Bible said he repented him. And there's a reason for that, but I won't go into it today. We'll have to do it on a Tuesday night. Okay, so Acts 15, 18 says, Known unto God from eternity are all his works. He knows what he's planning. That means he knows what he's going to do. He doesn't make it up as he goes along. All right, we've, if you could stand with me. Now we're ready to go into the commands, <laughs> which we will deep, dig into next week. Same time, same channel. All of you, come on out. We'll get, we'll get real deep with this. A new command I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So that's, that we're going to start with that command next, next week. All I did was lay the groundwork because I wanted to, to lay out a philosophical basis for what Jesus says, when we can take it as literal, when we can take it as spiritual, when we can take it in context and understanding, rightly dividing, because Jesus said a lot of strange things sometimes. And we have to understand it. Amen. God is so good. God is so awesome. Amen. I hope you have been edified and blessed, and we're looking forward to a fantastic service. I believe God is going to move in our service. Amen. If you will worship, if you will lift up the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. If you could bow your hearts with me. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, we ask you to just fill this atmosphere, Lord God, with worship and with praise. Let there be anointing that will break every chain. Lord God, that will touch every heart, that will lift up every head. Lord God, that will bind up the brokenhearted, Lord God, that will banish depression and doubt. Lord God, that we will reveal yourself to us in a new way, that we will leave different than the way we came. We thank you right now for your goodness and your grace, and we give you all of the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. One more time, let's give God a praise offering. Hallelujah.